There's a snap. There's a kick. It is up. It is. No good. No one missed. I think we got a heck of a shot of winning. We beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. Eli Manning stays on his feet. Airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. For all you non-believers, disrespect us. Talk crap about the defense like we ain't the third best defense in the league. See you in Pittsburgh. Can't wait. Kirkpatrick. Enzo. Eric Decker holds it in. The Jets win in overtime. And the New York Giants, given the last rights by many in December, are the Super Bowl champs in February. This is NFL Friday. Going long on all news, reaction, and game picks for the Giants, Jets, and across the NFL on WFUV Sports. Welcome into another episode of NFL Friday, WFUV's main podcast for all things NFL. And boy, do I have a crew with me today. Unfortunately, on Zoom because it's a crew of busy guys, nevertheless, couldn't really lock down a good studio time, but we're still here to talk all things NFL. My name is Jack Warner. I'm joined by Brian Raybacks, Evan Harkin, two very respected football philosophers at WFUV. So I'm very That's excited to, to be hosting alongside you too. But Brian, I'll start with you, my man. How are we, how are we doing? Yeah, sorry, Jack. I'm I'm ve- I'm a very busy man, as you've kind of figured out. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that we couldn't be able to be face to face, see each other, but we're still on NFL Friday. It's convenient for me because I think the last time I was on NFL Friday was following the Week One Giants blowout loss to the Cowboys. So now I'm here after. Yeah, that another, was bad. Another blowout loss to the Cowboys for 49. <laughs> That's wow. I didn't so, even think of that. Look at look at how that aligns. We're we're back on NFL Friday and great crew, as we mentioned. So I'm excited to get into everything we have today. And Evan, I'm sure you are as well. Yeah, super excited as well. Kind of like you, Brian. I actually couldn't wear my Giants hat for this one. I felt too ashamed. I had to take <laughs> it off. I don't know if I could wear it again anymore this season. But exciting time in the season. We're uh, bringing it down to crunch time. You know, there's 18 week season this year. A lot of games left, but they're all important games. So really interesting slate coming up. All good stuff, boys. I'm really excited to get into it. So let's let's waste no more time. Let's hop right in. We're going to start in the tri-state. Let's start with the New York Jets because, honestly, I feel like they deserve to be gone first. Sorry, sorry, Brian. Sorry, Evan. It's, it's just kind of the way things are in New York City right now. But to be honest, even though the Jets statistically and, and, and quite obviously by overall record are in a better position than the Giants right now, they're still not quite where they want to be right now, sitting four and five, third in the AFC East behind the Buffalo Bills. Now, this week was sort of an interesting one because there were rumors, well, actually not rumors, reports of a team meeting. It seems that uh, players on the in the New York Jets offense got together, you know, on their own time without coaching personnel to sort of get together and have, I guess you could call it a meeting of the minds. Um, and 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 talk about what they want to see moving forward, especially since offense has really been something that has weighed this team down to this point. It's really been an elite defense for New York that hasn't gotten much support. However, not too long after this meeting occurred, in fact, I believe it was the evening after this meeting uh, meeting occurred, the Jets cut down on their roster by cutting running back Michael Carter. He was cut. Following the team meeting, which 
honestly feels like kind of a blow. And it's, it's, it's kind of impressive that the Jets haven't been able to do much right this season. And that extends into team meetings because I feel like if you have a team meeting amongst your teammates, all the positive vibes might kind of go away once they find out that their teammate got fired right after. But nevertheless, an interesting roster move, Brian, I just want to start off, get your thoughts on what you made of this, you know, this move in the roster and, and, and the jets deciding to part ways with Michael Carter. I mean, I was kind of surprised by it. He had been there for a couple of years and kind of established himself as a nice presence within that locker room. And I'm sure he was vocal in that team meeting and, when you have a team that's not really clicking and trying to rally around each other, I don't know what it does to just remove someone who's been a long tenured jet, but that's what we got a little unexpected, but the offense, they just haven't been able to get anything going all year. And I know that it's tough to get Carter any reps because he's behind Brees Hall. He's behind Dalvin cook, but it's just weirdly timed. And I don't know what they're making room for exactly, but it's just an odd move and another complication for this offense to deal with because this offense hasn't been able to score at all. And I'm sure we'll get into all the issues that they have, but the player led meeting kind of, I guess, needed to happen. Garrett Wilson kind of led it from what I saw. And he said that got to make sure we're on the same page about where we're at and how the hell we're going to get out of this funk. That was really the message when it comes from one of your teammates, it always hits different. It'll always resonate more so they're trying they're trying to get out of this but they just haven't shown any signs that they can do it as of right now and yeah now one of their longest tenured guys has been cut abruptly so it's a weird kind of time for the Jets as they try to piece things together day by day but it kind of just looks grim and I don't know how much better it's going to get down the line going forward yeah I think there's a lot deeper stuff to dive into regarding this Michael Carter thing I mean Robert Seller reportedly said that we release Michael Carter because he deserves a bigger opportunity. I feel like that's kind of not true. I think there might have been some stuff in that locker room. I know there were reports early on in the season about him talking about the touches. He wanted more touches. So maybe that could have expanded a little bit. But I don't think, especially a coach like Robert Sala, a very player-friendly coach, seems to love all the guys. If you watch Hard Knocks, you know that. You know that he loves Michael Carter if you watch Hard Knocks specifically. I mean, I never would have assumed he would cut him watching those first couple episodes of this season, the way he talked about him. He also was asked if the Jets would make moves to their offense right before cutting Carter and replied strictly no. So, I mean, it's it's a little bit – it definitely seems like there's a little bit more involved there, but I don't think cutting Michael Carter, like you said, Brian, has a lot to do with how the Jets are trajectory this season. I mean, he wasn't getting much touches behind Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook when he's able to play. So, I think the Jets – hopefully can get Aaron Rodgers back for their own sake. I know he's talking about coming back after Thanksgiving. I think that'll really help their playoff trajectory. Right. And I think Brian touched on an interesting point in that, you know, I think it's more what catches people off guard about the move is more the veteran presence and the fact that he was a tenured jet and he gets the boot, you know, he gets cut because, you know, we can, we can both, you know, all three of us can, can sit here and be honest adults and say, you know, Michael Carter has not been a stud this year. He's 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 only got eight eight carries thir- for thirty eight yards. He's got fifteen catches for sixty eight yards. Oh, and by the way, against uh, the Raiders last weekend, had a pretty costly uh, chop block penalty that that kind of in that scenario really screwed over the Jets, and that actually led to him being benched in the game. So there's obviously it, this year hasn't been 
a phenomenal year for Michael Carter. Nevertheless, I do find it to be interesting timing for the move. And again, like Brian said, it, it always catches you off guard a little bit when um, someone of that stature and, and that, you know, who's been with the Jets for that long um, gets is is no longer a member of the team by way of getting cut, I think is very interesting. But I do agree with you, Evan, that there's bigger problems and there's bigger fish to fry in with regards to this Jets offense. But Here's what I want to talk about, because even though the Jets are sitting below 500 right now, technically, they're not out of this yet. They're not out of playoff contention. They're really not out of anything yet. Now, in the next few weeks, we could start to see an answer to that question of whether perhaps they are now out of things if they don't have, you know, a strong couple weeks coming up against some, you know, in my opinion, tough opponents, closely matching opponents. But at the same time, right now, the New York Jets are four and five sitting in third place in what I would call an underperforming AFC East this year. They're behind Buffalo, who I hate to be you know blunt, sucks right now. They're in a tough spot right now. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But here's the next few weeks for this New York Jets team at a glance. This weekend, they're at Buffalo facing off against the Bills at 425. Following week, they're home against Miami. And then the following week, they're home against Atlanta. So you have a three-week span of Buffalo, Miami, and Atlanta. Buffalo, they have already had a victory against this year. They also, and then, you know, Miami, probably the strongest competitor of the three if we're looking at the way the teams are compiled right now. But save by all things by all powers above, the Jets managed to come out of these next three weeks with two or even three wins. You're back above 500. You're close and in contention with an erratic Buffalo team who sits in front of you in second place. And in first place sits a Miami Dolphins team that has shown that they can also be beatable. So what I'm going to I'm going to start with you first, Evan, on this one. Do you think that the playoffs are really still an option for this Jets team? Now, I finished off the last thing I said with. Aaron Rodgers will help their playoff trajectory. I think it'll help, but I don't think it'll be enough. I mean, right now the Jets currently have a 7% chance by PFF to make the playoffs. That's pretty low. And I think the biggest thing for me are the teams above them that aren't even in the playoffs. The Bills, the Bengals, the Chargers. These are all teams better than the Jets, the teams that I think are going to win more games than the Jets in these upcoming games. And I think the fact that they're not even in the playoffs right now puts the Jets even way further down. I mean, every team that's in the playoffs right now in the AFC is at least six and three, except for five and four Houston in that last spot. And we know how good CJ Stroud and they've been playing. The AFC is a lot better than the NFC in total. And I, I don't think the Jets with this offense, with Zach Wilson, even if Aaron Rodgers comes back, I think it'll be too little too late for the Jets to make the playoffs this year. I made the same note that Jack did where you're looking at the standings. The Jets, they have some hills to climb, but... In terms of record, they're only one game behind the Houston Texans, who are five and four, and occupy that seven seed. So you can talk yourself into if the Jets rattle off some wins, they can get back into this thing. But then you look at who they play next. They play particularly the next two games. Let's look at those: the Bills and the Dolphins. And then you look at how atrocious this offense has been in the last couple of weeks. How do you see the Jets putting themselves in a position to make the playoffs? That, that That's what I see. I would be really surprised if they beat Buffalo on the road. I know they have a win against them in week one, but at Buffalo, different story, and you still can't score touchdowns. The Jets, they've gone 36 offensive drives without a touchdown. 
That's the longest active streak in the NFL. They have scored eight offensive touchdowns in nine games this year. That's it's atrocious. atrocious. It's absolutely atrocious. Less less than one per game. Atrocious is a great way to use a great word to use there. And then Zach Wilson has one passing touchdown in his last five games, and that was a screen pass that Brees Hall broke 50 yards against the Giants. So I don't really understand how we're going to see the Jets turning it around all of a sudden because you're not doing it against Buffalo and Miami. You're, de- I mean, Miami, are you kidding me? Look at the way that they operate on offense. You think the Jets and Zach Wilson can keep up with them? Absolutely not. And I feel bad putting it all on Zach Wilson, but if this team had Aaron Rodgers, they'd probably be 7-2. and two. They'd probably beat the Patriots, Chargers, and Raiders. They'd probably win all those games. So it's a really tough situation the Jets have put themselves in by the way their offense has just been stagnant all season long, and they're still in it by the standings, but I would be blown away if the Jets made a run and got themselves back into things by mid-December. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you, Brian, in the sense that the Jets have been one of the most easily frustrating teams to watch this year for no reason other than watching an elite defense, and I mean elite defense, be left out to dry weekend after weekend. There should be no reason that a team with a defensive unit that has shut down some of the offenses and quarterbacks that they have shut down, there's no reason that this should be a below 500 team. And also with some of the weapons that they have on offense, just between Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall and, and having, you know, a a running back, you know, your, your running back platoon is Brees Hall and Dalvin cook. There's no reason that this offense should be underproducing at the rate that they're underproducing. Um, And while I do think that these, you know, Buffalo and Miami have both proven to be teams that are very beatable, you know, Buffalo has been a, you know, we're going to get into just in a few moments, well, um, how, you know, underwhelming the Buffalo Bills have been this season. And even Miami has shown at times that they are a very beatable team. While that is true, at the end of the day, the name of the, the name of the sport of football is any other sport is finishing with more points than your opponent. And the Jets have shown me absolutely nothing to prove that that will be the case for them against any of these teams that they end up facing in the next two or three weeks. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to, unfortunately call, I'm going to, I'm going to say that playoffs are a no go for the Jets this year, but at the end of the day, we've all been wrong about stuff before. This is definitely still a game to watch this weekend. Jets at bills this Sunday at four twenty-five should be a great game. Brace yourself, Brian and Evan. Um, I'd rather give you guys due warning because these next few minutes are not going to be fun. Um, Look, your team sucks. The Giants are terrible. We're going to move to the – and don't get – I'm I'm not going to – you know what? The Giants – my team sucks too. I'm a Patriots fan. We're we're, sympathizing in our pain. Two and and eight the Patriots are? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Are you you excited for that that, that tank bowl next week? Yeah, dude. Come on. Uh, it's the only game. It's the only game where I'm rooting for a loss because if you lose, you really win. Draft picks. Um, anyway, here we are. So no. So let's get into all things Giants because right now they're coming off a 49 to 17 ass beating on Sunday by the Dallas Cowboys. So yeah, this team is you know a disappointing season has only gotten more disappointing, and there's already been enough things to frustrate you. You know, if you're watching as a Giants fan, just with the product on the field, but. Injuries to Jalen Hyatt and Kayvon Thibodeau 
and that both concussions and have yet to practice since leaving the game due to their respective concussions just makes a bad situation worse. And honestly, it's, it's honestly part for the course at this season. You're two and eight dead last in the NFC East currently hold the second overall pick. According to Tankathon, Chicago right now has the first overall pick, but that's only because they played one less game than the Giants have. They sit at one and eight. Now, Brian, I'm going to start with you because it's only right that I do it because this is what I did um, as much as, like you mentioned in the beginning part of this show, uh, this is what I did after week one, the first time that you guys, you guys got curb stomped by the Dallas Cowboys. But Brian, can you give me a single reason why the Giants should even think about trying to win a game the remainder of the season? So before I get into all of that, I just want to pull up some of the words that you used when we were in our pre-production. We were trying to figure out what we were going to piece together. You referred to me as a scorned, bitter, and remorseful Giants backer. And you know what? I think that's like the best way to kind of put it. So <laughs> I'll start with that. Uh, referring to the Cowboys loss on on Sunday, I know I'm People are expecting me to be guns a-blazing. Oh, this team's horrible. To be honest, I went into that game with no expectations. So seeing the 49-17 loss, I didn't care. It didn't affect me. I was able to enjoy my Sunday and be at peace with it. And to answer your question, should the Giants try to win at all the rest of the year? Ideally, I would like to see competitive football. I would not like to see them lose by 30 every single week, which is (laughs) kind of the direction they're headed in. But, I mean, when you have the quarterbacks that are available in the draft and the draft capital that they could have, it's just it's hard to really kind of want the team to win, especially when they have no chance on any given Sunday. They're, They're playing Tommy DeVito, an undrafted third string quarterback like. They can't they can't do anything with that. And they didn't let him throw the ball against the Jets. And I think when you saw him against Dallas, oh, that's kind of why. Like he just can't he can't function as an NFL quarterback. And it's really difficult. And I think under normal circumstances, they would change to Matt Barkley, who's the only other active quarterback on the roster. But I mean, sticking with Tommy DeVito, they're they're not trying. They don't want to win. They want to get the best position they can. And then it just decides. It just comes down to what they end up doing. Do they take a new quarterback, a Drake May, Caleb Williams, or do they get weapons for Daniel Jones if he potentially returns? I don't know, but that's the only place that your mind can go to at this point for the Giants because there's nothing to really like look forward to in the last however many games they have down the stretch. Yeah, 100%, Brian. I mean, this season's over. They definitely have no reason to win games. But I, I agree that I want to see them stay competitive, mostly for next season. The been thinking is, let's get Drake May. You get K. They are not going to succeed in the current Giants offense. If you threw any of those three quarterbacks who are very talented college QBs in this Giants offense, they might be a little bit better than Tommy DeVito. They would not shine. A lot of an offense has to do with the people around the quarterback as well. And we saw Daniel Jones, who proved to be an okay quarterback, look like a quarterback who was an undrafted third string behind this offensive line with these weapons, with this play calling. None of it's good. It's not just the quarterback. So my kind of fear is that the Giants are thinking that, oh, we get a quarterback in the draft and we'll be fine for next season. But that's not the case at all. They have a a lot of things to improve on. And you mentioned the injuries. I mean, 
they're in the bottom five, uh, top five, sorry, in terms of most injured players on your roster. And that's not nothing. That's not just guys getting injured. That has something to do with the coaching staff or the training staff or the equipment managing. It has something to do with something. So they have to look at that. And you can't just have your entire offensive line being injured, especially if you're going to bring in a new quarterback next year. So a lot of things for the Giants to look into besides the quarterback. But a big thing for me is Saquon Barkley. I feel really bad for him, man. I mean, the Giants mm-hmm. pay Daniel Jones all this money. They give him a discount deal, which is based on incentives for him to get yards and touchdowns and then give him as least help as you can possibly have to get yards and touchdowns and make his own money. I hope Saquon stays, but I definitely would not blame him if he leaves after this one-year contract. So I'm hoping the Giants are reamping for next season at this point. It's it's sad because doesn't it kind of look like Saquon's at the end of the road as a Giant? That that That's kind of the impression that I'm getting where I think he had a quote today where they asked him about his contract status and he was like, yeah, I've been loyal to the Giants and I'm paraphrasing it. He's like, I've been loyal, but they kind of show that loyalty doesn't matter because they didn't sign him to a long-term deal. So I'm sure he's very frustrated that he didn't get any sort of long-term anything. And now with this ineptness on offense, he can't get the incentives that were placed in the contract because they can't move the football at all. So I feel bad. And if this, if this does end up being it, it's going to be really upsetting because this is how he ends up going out on like the most lifeless giants team we've seen in the last six years. And that's saying something it bums me out, and it's just sad. There's just a lot of bleakness going on, and the whole Saquon situation just adds on to that. I'm glad, that, right? And I can't I'm glad that you bring that up. The the sort of unfortunate nature around Saquon's contract and his current situation as a member of the New York Giants, because while I have been, don't get me wrong, I have been a defender at times of Daniel Jones. I am not one of those people who has gone out and pointed fingers at Daniel Jones. Um, I've I've defended him on multiple occasions, considering, you know, the Giants offensive line is a literal pylon. Um, and I have also, um, you know, I've, I've defended him for his 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 skill and his ability. But at the same time, you know, he gets a lot of defense, you know, any uh, there have been a lot of defenders as well as, as a lot of critics. But Daniel Jones, like Evan mentioned earlier, there's been times in this season when he was healthy where he 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 also looked like like Evan mentioned a a third a third string undrafted QB. There were times where he looked like a novice quarterback. Some of it had to do with him expecting a hit and making premature decisions because his O line sucks. Like yes, but that's a problem that's up to him to fix. And I also don't think that that's I don't think that Daniel Jones has. I think he's proven an, enough between the half of this season and what he's done in previous seasons to continue being the starting quarterback of the New York giants. However, I don't think that Daniel Jones has proven enough to where it's, it's blasphemous that you draft a quarterback in, in when in the upcoming draft, I don't think that that's a, a slap in the face to Daniel Jones to go that route, because I don't think that he's shown enough for that not to be worthwhile. I think at the end of the day, if I had to pick a Giants player who I feel worse for, it's going to be Saquon. Yeah. And it's just, they can't do, they can't do anything offensively. And Saquon has been so loyal to the Giants. That's what makes it even more upsetting that he's been so loyal and he's probably just going to get like cast aside. Like, okay, you can go. We want to revamp our offense. So like, and he's not he's not a Joe Shane, Brian Dable guy. He was drafted by Dave Gettleman, too. But the same goes for Daniel Jones. So that kind of 
adds up adds on to the uncertainty for both of their futures. Where do they go? I think Daniel Jones, he'd be in a better spot if they didn't have as high of a pick as they're going to get. So they're going to end up being like the second overall pick. And then when you have someone like Caleb Williams waiting right there, it just becomes do the Giants just pass up on that? It's hard to do. And also a team would trade for Daniel Jones because I think that you look at a team like Atlanta who kind of just doesn't have a quarterback. They're not going to have a high pick this year. They could take someone like him and then just imagine Daniel Jones throwing the ball to Drake London and Kyle Pitts. That would be pretty nice. See them get a scary. That could be pretty scary. You're right. But there's just there's just so much that's that's gone wrong with this team. And it's just it's really hard to pinpoint whose fault it is. I don't think it's Abel's fault. I don't think it's Daniel Jones's fault. So it just comes down to did we just get fooled last year? Was this team just not ready? Because that's kind of where I've lent towards where I don't think Gable's gonna get fired. He nor should he. Like I don't know. I'm I'm at a loss for words, but I can't believe that we're where we are right now in the giant season that we're at two and eight expecting a top five pick. Couldn't see it after last year. Right. And you mentioned last season, Brian. I, I mean, I think we did get fooled a little bit. The Giants had the 32nd schedule in terms of strength. They had the least um, strong schedule in the league. So they were playing a lot of bad teams. They played the most amount of teams under 500 at the end of the season. So you saw them beat a lot of inferior opponents. But and a lot of that had to do with Saquon Barkley's running in the fourth quarter. He seemed to take over the fourth quarter. And we, we stick on the topic of Saquon. It, it is really sad, but I can't see a reason for him to stay on the Giants. Like you were saying, Brian, his whole career here, he's been the offense and he's had to carry the offense. I, even as a rookie, as soon as he got into this league and he's had no help, he's gotten no help from the front office. He's actually gotten the opposite of that. So I, I think he will depart next season. It, it will be pretty sad. Well, this has been a gloomy segment, but I expected nothing less like like we all said this team is a dumpster fire and at this point are playing for draft order. So as negative as this segment is, I will find a way to end this segment on a positive note by saying that this weekend, the Giants take on the Washington Commanders. Now it is on the road. It is in D.C. So you're on the roads, road game. You know, there's always a little disadvantage there. However, one of the measly two wins for this Giants club this year was against the Washington Commanders. So back on back on October 22nd, it was a 14 to seven final. I do believe I had the Giants defense in fantasy that weekend. So that was pretty dope. Yeah. Um, and I think I also had them for the Jets game, which even though y'all lost, it was also pretty dope. Well, they they my, had a lot of sacks my... in both of those games. So you, you made a good investment there. Oh, I made a lot. I, I got a lot of points that weekend. Probably still didn't win, but it is, it is what it is. Um, but either way, Giants, Commanders, Sunday, November 19th, 1 p.m. Look, boys, we're going to leave MetLife Stadium now. We're just going to do a quick little jog around some league-wide topics. Now, I mentioned earlier in the show that we were going to get to talking about the Buffalo Bills, and now is that time. What the hell is wrong with the Buffalo Bills? Because this is not at all the, you know, if you if you told me that 10 games into the season, at the beginning of the year, you tell me 10 games into the season, this Buffalo team is going to be a dead 500 team, 5-5 five and five record. I would look at you like you were crazy because I truthfully, these last few, these last few seasons, 
haven't been Super Bowl winning seasons, but have been dominant seasons nevertheless for the Buffalo Bills. And it just seems like that offense that used to be so insanely powerful for them lost every bit of flair that it had and has really not done much this season. But with regards to that, this week, big news came out of Buffalo as they fired their offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, following Monday night's 24-22 to loss when the Denver Broncos came into Orchard Park, New York, and beat the Buffalo Bills on national TV. Monday night football came down to the very end and actually came down to a 12-men-on-the-defense penalty, which allowed a missed field goal by the Denver Broncos to get a second attempt, and they would win the game as time expires. But just an absolutely pitiful game for the Buffalo Bills. Four turnovers, season high, four drops. Uh, But now we look forward, the quarterback's coach, Joe Brady, will now step in as the interim offensive coordinator from here on out. Now, there are people who are joking about the 12th man on defense costing Dorsey his job because it was the difference between beating and losing to the Denver Broncos. Um, But I want to get your opinion on this, Brian. What do, do you think that this was the correct move from Buffalo? Do you think that their offensive woes seem like Dorsey's fault? Does does firing Dorsey, is that a step in the right direction in terms of getting this offense back in the right direction? I don't know. I mean, potentially it might have been a move that needed to be done because I know a lot of Bills fans that have been complaining about the coaching this year, and Dorsey is right at the front of that. Even Sean McDermott's kind of on the hot seat now with them being 500, but – the thing is, I don't really know how much it's going to change everything because a lot of it falls on Josh Allen. Josh Allen's been turning the ball over nonstop. He looks like kind of like he did in his earlier years where he was just turning the ball over almost every single game. And that's what we saw. He had a couple of costly interceptions in the night game against the Broncos. And then you look at week one against the Jets, a game they lost, three interceptions. Had a couple picks, I think, against the Patriots, which how are you losing to – the 2023 <laughs> New England Patriots, and you're the Buffalo Bills. Like, yep. come on. The firing of Dorsey, to me, really feels like let's throw our fans a bone and just give them this and act like we're doing something. But I don't I don't know, man. I think they'll I think they'll beat the Jets, but you look at the rest of this AFC playoff picture, there's so many teams just crowded around like the Bills. They're gonna have to start rallying off wins now. And when you're losing to teams like New England and Denver. Denver at home too. There's just a lot of uncertainty. And I think not Ken Dorsey who ended up being the kind of fall guy for it, but I think Josh Allen is kind of right at the pinnacle of what the issues have gone here and they're going to have to correct it. He's got, he has to stop turning the ball over if they want to start winning games. Yeah. I think Dorsey is definitely the scapegoat here. I don't think firing the offensive coordinator is going to stop your quarterback from launching the ball 60 yards downfield on third and one and throwing it to safeties. I mean, when the when the Bills win, it's because Josh Allen was Superman. We've seen him be Superman. There's no doubt that Josh Allen at the top of his game is a, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Definitely one of the most talented quarterbacks. But he shoots himself in the foot, and so does this whole Bills team, like we saw with the 12 men on the field. They seem to be their worst enemy every year. They have to figure, They have to clean up their game. I mean, Josh Allen has led the league in picks, I think, the last three seasons. Definitely the last two, he's leading them in picks right now. But then he also has 19 and so. Uh, you definitely can't 
put all the blame on Josh Allen. He definitely has won this team many games throughout his tenure, many games this season. But they, like you said, Brian, they just have to stop throwing interceptions. Like Josh Allen simply, he's been told this since day one. He was His draft report said this. This has been an issue for Josh Allen forever. But I think another big thing is their run game. I mean, the Bills almost seem to have no run game. They, they almost seem to, they don't even want to run the ball. I mean, Josh Allen gets back there and shotgun every single play, it seems like. Maybe they'll have a couple one-yard runs to get into the goal line here and there. But I think they need to look at their run game and have it step up a little bit. Maybe their offensive line, whether it's that or the backs. But you take a look at the Chiefs, and they seem to have a very good run game every week, which really assists Patrick Mahomes. I mean, when the defense is worried about you running the ball as well, it really helps you as a quarterback that can put the ball over their heads like Josh Allen can. So I bet another thing for the Bills besides – having them cut the turnovers down is boosting that run game up. That'll definitely balance out the offense more. But I think Ken Dorsey definitely was taking the fall for a whole offense that is stagnant right now. Right. And I completely agree with both of you guys. I do think that this was a move that at, a, at the end of the day, I think it was to send a message because there, you know, there's times when a coach firing really does send a message to the players that they need to wake up because there is, you know, a guilt that goes, you know, around a locker room when a coach gets fired, because oftentimes it's due to a team underperforming, you know, it's not Ken Dorsey going out there and throwing those interceptions and, and, and losing the bills, you know, football games. There was even an interesting quote from Josh Allen. They asked him about Ken Dorsey being fired. And he said, it hurts a lot to see someone you care about go through a situation like that and to know that if I could have done more, this offense could this offense could have done more. We wouldn't have to do something like that. So it's clear that this firing is 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 sending a message throughout the team. Oftentimes, it, like I said, it, it, you know, coach firings and and personnel firings can be used as sometimes a punishment to a team because again, it you know, players develop connections with their coaches. They 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 practice under their coaches. They get used to their coaches. It's Coaches are incredibly, incredibly important. You can never quantify how important a good offensive coordinator is in the in the NFL. So while I do think the blame can go a bunch of ways um, in the sense of Josh Allen not being the cleanest quarterback this year, that would like how we know him to be. Evan, you made a great point of the run game basically being dead for this Buffalo Bills offense. I think at the end of the day, there were problems in multiple different areas and Ken Dorsey you know, is at the helm of that offense. So he was the one that ultimately had to take a fall for it. Because again, this, this Bills team was five and five with plenty of season to go. They're not a bad team by any stretch of the imagination, but they're just such a good team and are known have been, you know, they've been known for their offense. They've been branded by their offense. I mean, you think about, think about that divisional title game back in 2022, where they lost to the chiefs and it literally just came down to the, the chiefs couldn't keep, the Bills from scoring, they had that incredible drive downfield late in the game to take the lead. The only reason the Chiefs won the game was because they had the ball last. Offense never used to lose the Buffalo Bills football games, and now we're in a position where it is, and, and that's a weird feeling. It's definitely a weird feeling, and the Bills, it's they're not used to being in this territory, at least in the last couple of years. They haven't been successful really in the last 20 years, but that's besides the point. The Bills, it's just very hard to figure out a way that they're going to climb out of this other than just assuming that they're going to start being the Bills. But 
we're now entering week 11. That's got to start happening now. You got to start, set the tone this week against the Jets. And then from there, they play a couple other AFC teams in the playoff picture. But a couple of these losses early in the year have really hurt them. And it doesn't get any easier. After the Jets, look at their next three games. Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys. And they're struggling to beat the Broncos and the Patriots. So what can I really expect? Maybe the firing of Dorsey wakes this team up. Maybe they get some new life with their new interim offensive coordinator, their former QB coach. But either way, the Bills have put themselves in a really tough spot, get being 500 at this point in the season, and then looking at the teams that they have to play in the future. It's going to be really tough, but they are the Bills. So I guess we can't really count them out with how talented they are, I guess. Yeah, I feel like the Bills are just always have been their own worst enemy. I mean, they seem to play down against teams or up against teams. Like you said, they'll play the Chiefs and they'll look like the Chiefs. They'll look like maybe their offense is better than the Chiefs. And then they'll play Russell Wilson and the Broncos and they'll look like the Broncos. And it's not just those two teams. It seems when like the Giants, for example. They only beat the Giants. They play bad when they play bad teams and good when they play good teams, which does kind of seem like a coaching staff issue, so, or at least has something to do with the coaching staff. So it turns me a little bit more towards liking that Ken Dorsey fire because maybe you have to do something to get the coaching staff to motivate the players enough to play to their identity, play like you're the Buffalo Bills, one of the most high-powered offenses in the league. And additionally, like I said, the run game has to step up. So does this defense when the Bills, well, they have the guys to do it. They have really good DBs, pass rushers. They have the roster to be a lot better than they are right now. So they definitely have to play their own identity in this upcoming rough schedule. So the Buffalo Bills host the New York Jets this Sunday at 425. We'll see if the, you know, shakeup in the coaching staff really gets to them. See, see if it's it, it pushes this Bills offense, this stagnant Bills offense in the direction that they want to be pushed. But we're going to close out this episode pretty soon. But before we do, I want to get to one of my favorite segments that we all, I always love to bring whenever it is my turn to I'm ready. host this wonderful uh, podcast and that is lock and dog of the week now for any new listener lock and dog of the week is a nice little prediction game that we like to play where before the show each host brings who they think is a lock this weekend which is in favor you know we have we look at the betting odds it's, it has to be a team that's actually favored we pick one team who's favored that you should bet on to win this weekend and one team who is not favored your underdog who you should bet on this weekend. Although please do not hold us financially liable for any money or belongings that you lose in betting on these teams. Now that that is out of the way, Brian, do you want to get us started with your underdog this week? Yeah, I'll get us started with our dog. So uh, looking at the slate, there are like a couple of options that could have gone in. There's a really close Brown Steelers game. I don't know if anyone's going to go in the direction of there, but the direction I ended up taking in the my dog of the week, it's got to be Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. They are 
uh, four and a half point underdogs in Houston against the Texans. But you look at the Cardinals, I know they've been awful two and eight, but that performance last week from Kyler Murray against the Falcons, they just looked like a totally different team. And then you look at them going into Houston. I know CJ Stroud has been balling out and he's been a dog, but like, I don't know. This Texans team, I feel like they're prone to one of these like fall games where they play down to their opponent and kind of get caught by surprise. So Cardinals four and a half point underdogs. I like them to cover and dare I say it, I like them to win with that new energy that Kyler Murray has brought back to them. So give me the Cardinals as my dog. Yeah, I like that, Brad. I like the energy Kyler brought to that offense. So you could definitely see it last week. They were a completely different offense with his swagger and everything. Uh, my underdog for the week is going to be the Rams taking on the Seahawks. Mm. The Rams are a plus one, minus one to the Seahawks right now, just barely underdogs, but that's still an underdog. And I think just barely underdogs is because of the reason that the Rams beat the Seahawks 30-13 to 13 in their first game this season. They whooped them. I think a big thing for this Rams offense, obviously getting Matthew Stafford back this week, that's no question. I mean, one of the proven veteran quarterbacks in this league. But now they have Cooper Cup. They beat them 30-13 without Cooper Cup, another one of the most veteran seasoned veterans in the league at his position Rams. A lot of those players have even won a Super Bowl with the Rams a couple of years ago. The Seahawks are a very young team. We know they have a lot of talent, but it's all a young talent. And we saw in that first game kind of that veteran poise that Matthew Stafford has was able to overcome the Seahawks and really dominate them in that first game. So I think the Rams get it done again versus a young Seahawks team. I think they absolutely have all the weapons they need to get it done. Great picks all around. For my dog this weekend, I am taking the Minnesota Vikings, who are two-and-a-half-point dogs on the road against the Denver Broncos. I'm going to be honest with you, man. I'm riding, I'm buying in on the Josh Dobbs stock. I really enjoy the energy that he's brought to this Vikings offense since they acquired him from Arizona. And I think he's given them a lot of the spark that they needed. And I think he's about the best guy that they could have gone with, given the circumstances of Kirk Cousins going down with a season-ending injury. You know, I think this team who started off the season very on a very rocky note for as, as projectable and as good as they are have completely turned things around. And not to mention Denver. I know they're on the road, but Denver being in my opinion, I know that they are coming off. I, I do believe it'll be a close one. Um, and Denver is coming off an impressive win against the Buffalo Bills on the road. But I do find Denver to be a very beatable team. And I find the Vikings to be rolling right now and like i said i do really like what i see from josh dobbs right now who has completely sort of rejuvenated this offense so i'm taking the vikings to win this weekend two and a half point dogs on the road in denver brian who is your lock when when i was looking at this i only saw really one game that i was like okay that's probably a lock and that game that I landed on was kind of a cop-out, but it's Niners over the Bucks. The Niners are favored by 11 points, I think. And I think coming off of last week on the road against a good team in Jacksonville where they just blew the doors off of them, 34-3 to win, I think the Niners are totally recovered from the couple of losses that they suffered 
in the middle of the season. Now I think they're just going to hit the ground running. And this Tampa Bay team doesn't really impress anyone by any means. They're kind of hanging in there in the NFC South, but the NFC South isn't very good. So I think you look at this stack in the matchup, Niners, Bucks. So I think it's very, very easy here. I think Niners are a very sure pick as a lock in the four o'clock window on Sunday. I like that pick, Brian. Uh, with my pick of the week, I'm going with the Chiefs. I know it's a little controversial. Bold. They're playing the Eagles. We got a, a Super Bowl rematch Ooh. from last week. I'm sure everyone's going to be tuned into that one. But I got the Chiefs, and I think we all know why. Patrick Mahomes in primetime. I mean, he just simply gets it done. Kind of the way we're getting it done by meeting on Zoom in this podcast. Mahomes gets it done, <laughs> especially in primetime. I mean, go. Patrick Mahomes coming into this season. 15 and 2 on primetime. Then he went out and beat the Jets, beat the Broncos. So right now he's 17 and 2 on, on primetime. Not a lot of quarterbacks can knock him off. He, I mean, like you said with the Bills game, it matters who gets the ball last. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes the Chiefs and Andy Reid also get it done, even when it's not Patrick Mahomes. The defense plays well when they need to. Andy Reid makes the decisions he needs to. I'm taking the best team in the NFL uh, with some pretty good profit related to it this week. Well, a very bold pick, but I do like it. I think it's fun. I think it's fun when we're able to, you know, even though the lock is supposed to be your sure set, confident pick, you know, a favorite team. I do like when we're able to push the envelope a little bit and pick a risky, a risky lock because I've actually had a couple locks this season not go my way. I actually had the damn Buffalo Bills last weekend for Monday Night Football against Denver as my lock. So that's a nice. that's proof that. You know, it doesn't always go how you plan. That's the fun of this game. But I have the Jaguars, who are favored by six and a half against the Tennessee Titans this weekend. They're coming off getting the doors blown off them by the San Francisco 49ers. And I do that was, I think, in my opinion, to be expected. However, I don't think this Jags team is going to go out there and allow themselves to get beat twice. Additionally, it's an AFC South matchup. Um, but Trevor Lawrence, Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk. What else is there to be said? I think they're going to run circles around this Tennessee defense. I like what I've seen from the Jaguars up until this point. I think they continue to make the case to be the best team in the AFC South. But that's my lock. I got Jags over Titans at minus six and a half. I'm taking that all day long. That is going to just about do it for this week's episode of NFL Friday. Thank you very much to my co-hosts, Brian Raybax and Evan Harkin. I had a great time chatting with you boys today about all things NFL. Tune in with us next week as we break down this upcoming weekend. Uh, but like I said, next week in NFL football, both tri-state and beyond. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a great weekend. Watch as much football as you can. See you soon.